You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast, your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, Vikram, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a little bit of information on your background, how you got in real estate, and kind of what you're involved in today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, start off my career as a physician, really wanted to help people. I had a lot of people in my family that had heart problems, ended up becoming a cardiologist. And then I was like, hmm, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He got me all pumped up and inspired. I was like, all right, let me start making some money outside of cardiology because I just want to have multiple streams of income. Everyone talks about multiple streams of income. I tried options trading, got my butt kicked completely. And I was like, all right, it's too complex. I don't understand it even. So Warren Buffett says, invest in what you understand. So I was like, all right, well, uh, real estate, I, I know some really dumb people who figured out real estate. I think I can figure it out. Let's do that. So I tried wholesaling, way too time intensive, labor intensive. Then I was like, okay, Maybe we can fix and flip or something. I tried to do it in Washington, D.C., where I was in Northern Virginia, where I was practicing. Too expensive. I grew up in Atlanta. My dad was out there. So I was like, all right, dad, I, I've tried all these things. Let's just go in Atlanta and buy something small. And back then in Atlanta, you could buy a home for about $30,000, dollars $50,000. I was like, okay, we can do that. My wife made me one rule. She goes, I don't trust real estate, but I'll let you do it. But you're not allowed to use your personal name. And so I had to figure out creative financing. I had an LLC worth nothing. And I had to go with like hard money loans, begging, borrowing, getting random things. And finally, we found a property, built that up to a 30 homes by doing the Burr method. But then I was like, dude, this is nice, but I'm making a solid income as cardiologist. How am I going to really you know, retire or do whatever else with this? And then I heard this guy talk about multifamily and syndications and it sounded illegal, but it sounded sexy too. So I was like, all right, let's, let's get into that. Just like uh, Brandon and Thomas, you guys partnered. I found a good partner in Ravi. He's a, he was also a doctor who had the a real estate bug. And we partnered and we started doing this multifamily thing. And the number one thing we noticed was doctors don't know how to invest. I can attest to that because I, I used to be one of them. And we helped these guys start investing in these multifamily syndication deals. And you know, we were bringing capital and we're like, all right, hey, this is not that hard. Why don't we do it ourselves? You know, and one thing led to another, and now we have about $700 million of assets. We're in about you know seven different states. We have a team, about 35 folks, and we have a team offshore as well. I think you guys and us, we both got Inc. 5000, so yay. It's been phenomenal. And then while I've been doing that during the pandemic, I had a lot of doctors come to me and say, hey, you know, you're doing some cool stuff. Can you teach us? Can you share with us what's going on? And so I started coaching and mentoring physicians, and I have a company called Limitless MD where I do that as well. When did you guys start the uh, syndication piece? 2015, but 2015. really it's been, I mean, like, like you said, like takes a year or two to really get it going. So I would say yeah. 20, 2017 is when I really took it to the next level. That's amazing. What do you most attribute to your, I, I mean, you know, 2015, even to now owning $700 million of real estate, what do you attribute to that explosive growth? I think getting clarity on what you want. I, I'll be honest. We've did do a few shiny objects, but in general, I, I I'm pride myself in saying, stay the course, stay the course, you know, and then systems and operations. And then eventually having a bigger vision than you can think about, but then getting help, mentorship, coaching, and, and just 
guidance on where you want to go. And then also modeling best practices. There's people I'm chasing, you know, who are about a couple of years ahead of me. And I'm like, all right, I see what they're doing. I'm going coming after them. That's really important, right? Getting mentors and getting people to surround you to be able to help bring you to where you got to go. And now I know that you know, we have a lot of physicians who listen to this podcast. You're obviously a physician yourself. What would be your advice for a physician who wants to get into it? Like, what, where do they start with real estate investing? How do they get involved? And kind of what would be your guide for them? And just to add to that too, like, would you do the whole Burr thing again? Knowing what you know now, and you got a new physician that's coming to you, they're making good money and they're like, okay, what do I, what's my first step? Would you do the whole Burr thing again or would you tell them something different? Uh, I have no regrets, but that being said, would I do things differently? Probably. And there's a fallacy and a myth out there. Hey, to get to multifamily, you have to go through the town of single family. Not necessarily. And I've actually coached and mentored a physician, sort of a partnership, two doctors. One's a neurosurgeon, one's a critical care doctor. I think one was one owned a home. The other one was renting in an apartment. He's never even owned a home ever, even his own personal residence. And they ended up buying a $10 million project within 12 months of not knowing anything. So what I'm trying to say is, if you know the skills and if you, it's it's fun for me to coach physicians because they're surrounded by money and they themselves are high income earners. And so it allows them to sort of skip some of the early steps that a lot of us had to do, you know, starting off. And I, I think they can learn to raise capital quickly and they can qualify for loans and then they can go after these big projects. So I would say, figure out where in the real estate space, if that's what you're interested in doing, where you want to play, learn that thing, go deep with it, build a system, build a company. If you're still working full-time, probably need to get a partner and then go after it. That's good advice. And I think it kind of goes back to your, what you mentioned before at clarity, right? You have to have clarity in where you want to go. Where do you see like the future of multifamily going like right now? Like if you were, if you were thinking about, you know what, I want to jump into the multifamily game. I want to skip wholesale. I want to skip the entire single family game. Where, where do you think we sit right now? And is now a good time to jump in? You know, uh, in 2008, I was still doing my fellowship. I was in Milwaukee and I bought a condo and I thought, you know, I thought I was smart. I was like, I'm a homeowner. I'm doing really cool. But, you know, in reality, I should have been scouring the country for distressed properties and, and going after those. So I missed out my on my 2008. I did take advantage of like 2012, 13 onward and made quite a bit of acquisitions and really, you know, made a good amount of real estate uh, income and, and and increased my net worth and allowed me to retire from, you know, cardiology by the age of 40. That being said, I think this is the next time for people out there. So if you missed on 2008, this is your time. And so in the multifamily space, what happened was for the last 24 to 36 months, the best way to get debt was to get a floating rate debt. And you got high leverage floating rate debt. So what's going to happen now is since that floating rate debt has gone up, and even if you bought a quote unquote, what we call a cap, which is a protection on how high the interest rate can go, it's still beyond your, probably your underwriting. And so you're going to see people starting to flounder and starting to either be forced to, you're not going to have like fire sales or or foreclosures and multifamily just because there's such a solid conservative asset. That being said, you're going to have people being forced to sell either by the banks or they just don't, you know. And if they try to refinance, they're what we call a negative sort of a refine. Uh, instead of uh, finance, re- putting money, uh, taking money out, they have to put money in to do the refinance, which is a negative refinance. And so in these situations, if you're ready, if you're cash rich and you can come in and take over these positions of these people, even without putting any equity in or be 
get something on pennies on, uh, you know, a, a good 20 to 30% discount. And so my team, we're closing on two deals where we already got discounts on. And now we're going to wait for probably two quarters. And this summer, we think there's going to be a, a, when interest rates are on the, on the way down, they're not going to go down, down, but they're going to be on the trajectory down. And these prices are, these sellers have come to, they have had that come to Jesus moment. There's going to be like a good window where you can go in and, and take over some of these deals. How are you financing these deals that you're closing on? Like are banks still, do they still have an appetite for deals or where? Yeah. I mean, no matter what is happening, there is a need for affordable housing. And if interest rates are really high, which they are, it's very difficult to buy a home. And so that's pushing people into rentership. And normally rentership is around, I don't know, 30% of the country. There, we're starting to see it as going to get as high as 38% of the country will be, you know, renters. And uh, some people say in the future, maybe 50% of the country is going to be rent rentership. So I don't know. But bottom line is rentership is here to stay. And that's why if it's feast or famine, multifamily is always a needed asset. It's not a luxury asset. I mean, yes, you can buy double A luxury assets, but we're buying B B assets, you know, solid B assets, you know, and there's always going to be a room for that. So the banks are willing to lend because Fannie and Freddie are government agencies and they have been allocated a certain amount of money and they need to distribute that out by the end of the year. And then there's also private lenders who are willing to lend too. So for the folks that have that floating rate debt that they were not able to refinance yet, what are they doing? What are their options? So there's something called debt service, which is, you know, your mortgage payment for an apartment. And they have to make that. And if they don't, there's going to be workarounds. Like they're going to say, hey, you have to do this. You have to do this. And if they don't do it, then the banks will either force them to sell or, you know, they'll, they'll lose their property. So there are people who either they're undercapitalized or they over aggressive in their, you know, their what they paid for the property. And this is going to be an issue. How do you think underwriting changes for the entire space going forward? Because I don't. I mean, did people see this coming? I presume not if they all had floating rate debt. Like, would they have underwritten this potential? I, I think that some of it was underwritten, but not all of it. So what we've done is we've wealth capitalized all our projects and we're not forced to sell at any one time. So this too shall pass, they say, right? So if you have the capability to hold on, you will be profitable. And we think uh, 2023 is the recession. 2024 is part is the beginning of the recovery. And 2025 is boom years again. So if you have that capability to get to 2025, you are set. If you can just hold through it. Now, a lot of people have bought in uh, maybe four, three or four years ago. And they're so in the money that this doesn't even bother them. And they can sell now and still be highly profitable. Yeah. I, I've seen that a lot on the local level with a lot of smaller deals where properties have literally doubled in value or, yes. or sometimes tripled in value over the past like four or five years. And and that's what everybody's like kind of saying too. It's like, well, who cares if prices go down 15% because I'm still up a hundred. <laughs> right. Like um, I'll give an example. We bought something in January of 2021 for 53 million. And at its peak, it was getting like offers at 83 million. And mm -hmm. we only owned it for about 18 months. So we're like, oh yeah, let's hold on. You know, it would have been nice if we had just unloaded it. But that being said, it's probably gone down a little bit, like maybe 5 million or something like that. But because we're so in the money, we're just going to hold it for the next cycle and we're fine. You mentioned that you capitalize your deals well. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that means? Sure. 
So the way when we do our syndications, when syndication is just a fancy word for people obviously coming together and pulling their money to buy an asset. And usually there's a general sponsor and there's a limited sponsor. So we at Viking Capital are looking for either distressed or underperforming properties in really good areas of the country. Everyone knows, you know, the Sun Belt is one of the places. And the reason why that is, is the demographic shift used to be 60% of the country lived in like California and New York and Chicago. But now that's, they're all moving into Atlanta, the Carolinas, Florida, Texas, and Phoenix, right? That's where everyone's moving. And so that's also where the jobs are. That's where everything else is. So yes, there's a general recession, general downturn, but there's pockets where they're going to do really well. They'll either be flat or still be positive, but just not as positive as they were before. Those are where we're buying it. Um, sorry, your question again. Sorry, I was getting carried away here. Explain to our listeners what being well capitalized like actually sure. looks like. So when we're, we're buying these value-add properties, and value-add properties meaning I'm doing something to the property to increase the value before I ask to you know, increase the rents. And so I have to get up capital expenditure budget or a re- you know, in single family called rehab budget and in multifamily we call it a capex budget. So that capex budget, I'm imagining, okay, what if the roof happens during my tenure? I need to have that ready to go. What if this happens? So I have all of that just in a reserve account ready to go just in case. And, you know, I also, in my underwriting, I'm like, okay, yes, I was getting 20% rent growth last year and this year it's 8%, but let's just not even consider any of that. Let's just go back to the normal two to 3%, which is, that's, keeping up with inflation even, which is not not keeping up with inflation sometimes, even now because the inflation is so high. But that being said, that's what you factor in. So you have excess capital needed for any repairs, any rainy days, and you you have a conservative growth mindset, you know, and what you're giving to your investors, you're going to be, you have enough finances to do what, what you need to do. And it's really not having the finances is what gets you in trouble. Do you have enough money to pay the debt? Do you have enough money to do your repairs? And the people... Uh, let me go a few few paragraphs back. If you didn't do your value add and raise, you know, the value of the property before these interest rates went up, you know, you're really in trouble. But those of people who are able to raise that asset value higher, then you can sustain that interest rate hike because you've created equity, you've created appreciation. So Looking back at the interest rates, uh, I know you mentioned before you expect them to come down during the summer of 2023 of this year. What happens if they don't? How is that going to impact people? Well, I'll tell you what we're going to, we're just going to delay our acquisitions until that happens. But and now that being said, there's a macro strategy where you look at the whole country and then you look at individual deals. You always have to look at the individual deal because sometimes it doesn't, you don't care what happens in the country. If the deal makes sense, you still do it. And it's all based on numbers, right? You don't get emotional. And so if you look at the numbers and you're getting, if someone's giving you a 30% discount, I don't, you don't care what the interest rate is, you go after it, right? So there's, there's been no discounts in multifamily for so long. I mean, you had to give up my your first son or first daughter to even get a deal because it was just, uh, this, it was such a seller's market. The seller would name a price and literally you had 10 people saying, sure, we'll pay it. So we're finally getting to the point where it's starting to become a buyer's market. So that's 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 on our acquisition side. In terms of what's going to happen to the people, well, there's going to be a little bit of a reckoning, but in general, there are people are renting. So people are occupying. These, there's no low occupancy happening in a lot of these places. It's really the management. And like you said uh, with uh, Warren Buffett, it's all about management. And so if you can manage throughout this period, you have a good property management company or you're self-managing, you know what you're doing. You're keeping expenses low, you're cash rich, 
and you can withstand all of this and just you know make sure you, at least you can take care of your debt service and then obviously it'd be even better to even take care of debt service and your investors you're set and it's if you have the patience and the stamina to withstand this period you're going to be really well off so how would you i don't know if advise is the right word but how would you advise somebody to find great deals in this upcoming market where do you have them look and let's assume it's somebody that kind of wants to get into the space so maybe maybe they have small multifamily maybe they don't but they they're hearing this and they're like man i really want to get into multifamily especially if it's going to be this buyer's market it's going to transition to this buyer's market how do you find deals in this new market yeah yeah there's uh, there's a couple of big ways like um first of all word of mouth uh number 2 is uh if you know property management companies they'll know which property of their owners that they're managing for they'll know which ones are in trouble number 3 would be uh talking to banks and becoming friends with the banks hey who do you have loans out on that you're worried about and, and number 4 is brokers they'll know who are the troubled operators so those four ways are great things and also test the market you know throw lowball offers out before it was not, it was not, it was, they would laugh you out of the room. Now people are actually considering that. And then uh, there used to be this um, another impediment to newbies getting into the game. One of the uh, impediments was hey, I had to put what we call hard money. So hard money really means non refundable money up front, even just to get in the game of putting an offer in an LOI. All that has gone away. You don't need to put hard money anymore. So there's no harm in throwing out a strong offer that's probably below what's asking and see if you can squeeze out a deal somewhere. And I know I know a lot of uh, troubled operators out there. So maybe if you know an owner hey, who's struggling, make him an offer. Hey, can I can I partner with you and I'll capitalize you, but I, I want equity right away. Or, hey, can I take over your project? Um, I'll pay you what you what you paid for it. So you're, you break even. Huh. Interesting. I might have to follow up with you about the troubled operators. <laughs> I may or may not have been asking about myself. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, you said hard money. Now, in the past, whenever we talked about hard money, it's always like hard money loans. The hard money you're talking about is is essentially like an earnest money deposit, like an option fee. So your money is going hard when you so, put the property under contract. Is that true? Yeah. So in multifamily, the lingo is essentially, hey, let's say I have a $10 million project and I need to put down hard money. So I'm putting $300,000 hard at the signing of the PSA. So that's unusual. Usually you wait, you have a due diligence period. At the end of due diligence, then your money goes hard. Your good faith money goes hard or it becomes non-refundable. Hard just means non-refundable. But this crazy seller cycle, we had to essentially say, hey, you know, even if I sniff your property, your money's hard. You know, here you go. Like, I mean, it's crazy. It was like, and so, and it was, it was wild. I mean, you have to put in, uh, we start, you know, when we first started in the game, $50,000, it's hard. Okay. Okay. We have the property. Then it was like a hundred thousand. Now, like for some of these bigger deals, I mean, I'm putting in multiple seven figures hard and it's like, you have to do it. And you have, otherwise, if you don't do the deal, you walk away from that money. Yeah. That's tough. Seven figures to go. Seven, that's, that's tough. I don't know if I'd have the ability to do that, man. I don't know if I could do it. This is where you, uh, you clench your cheeks and I, you know, which cheeks I'm talking about. And you're like, all right, <laughs> let's, let's do, I believe in this or not, you know? And that's where you're like, underwriting you know you're like you you better either love your underwriter or <laughs> or something because yeah. uh you're basing everything on that you know 
Yeah, I remember when when, when I did that deal that I was that I spoke about before the eight unit deal. I remember forty thousand dollars went hard, and I was worried about like, okay, if we might we almost had to back out of the deal. And at that time, I was like, yeah, I hope we don't have to back out. I can only imagine if they're ten x or 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 hundred x that <laughs> that that's that's rough. That's rough. Yeah. Why does this matter? Because it's because the seller's like, look, we have ten people who want the deal. If you're gonna take it, then okay, we'll give it to you, but be serious, you know. So I get it, but. Yeah, I'm I'm glad it's we're coming down to a different that's why I'm saying like yes, we're going to a correction. Yes, this is starting to slow down, but we needed it. It was way overheated. Yeah, no, I would totally agree. I mean, good things can't last forever. And uh that's why the Fed's, you know, raising interest rates so aggressively right now, or or they have over the last year or so. And we, we've seen we've seen the impacts of that in the market. So you know, we covered a lot here today. We navigated the multifamily market, maybe you know, what's going on and where we're going. You're still syndicating right now. It sounds like, or you're still you're still have plans to keep going. It, you know, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, want to learn more about what you have going on with Viking Capital, you know, what would be the best way for them to do so? Sure, I'll share my info in a second, but I want to share one more thing, guys. It's never necessarily the price or their interest rates that's make sense. It's a ratio. So when I was interest rates were low, what do you think the price was? Super high. So now when the interest rates are high, the prices are coming down. So the ratio in the end, the returns in the end. Are come out to be the same. It's, I mean, relatively speaking. So it's, you know, the, the it's, you have to take all of that into account. That's all. So there's less buyers now. Prices are lower, but I'm paying a higher interest rate. But before, prices were really high and I was paying a low interest rate. So just something to think about. But uh, that being said, yeah, our company is Viking Capital. Love serving our investors all over the country. Uh, VikingMultifamily.com is our website. I'm available everywhere. My email is v. R-A-Y-A at vikingcapllc.com. Please reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to you know, share with you what we've done with our investors and our track record. We've been hitting an average uh, annual return about 24% per year for our investors. Over, and we've exited, I think, nine, nine exits so far. So um, yeah, love to help out. That's pretty strong. So what we're going to do is go ahead and drop that all in the show notes for everybody who is uh, who's listening. Anybody wants to check that out. Vikram, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, um, sharing your knowledge with the audience. Um, it's going to be a great one. I'm looking forward to putting it out there. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.